Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, it's game week. T-minus, from when we're recording this, we are T-minus pretty much exactly 48 hours from kickoff at Boone's Pickens Stadium. I uh, I feel like we're just killing 48 hours. Like, we're just, we just need to speed up the next 48 hours. Yeah, we, uh, we had a, a – normally this would be – no news at all for the next couple of days, but we did have some, some cool NFL news. I want to touch on before we dive into everything, Oklahoma state with like Jalen Warren made the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, uh, Devin Harper made the 53 man roster of the Dallas Cowboys. And those were two Colby, you've been talking about Devin Harper and just what a huge loss that is for Oklahoma state. And we all know Jalen Warren is as well at the running back position. I think it's interesting, Colby. I wanted to get your take on, just the the NFL process is so crazy, and and they're gonna they're gonna miss on some guys. Jalen Warren was invited to the combine, but wasn't drafted. Still makes the team with the Steelers, which is just a remarkable feat as an undrafted rookie. Uh, Devin Harper was not invited to the combine, but was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in the sixth round, and he also makes the team. So it's just further proof that these guys can make an NFL roster, even if draft day doesn't work out too well for them. Yeah, absolutely. I've been telling anyone who will listen over the last probably eight months, Devin Harper is that guy. He's so underrated because he played next to the best linebacker in school history. Devin Harper made so many plays at Oklahoma State. I couldn't believe I couldn't believe that he or Malcolm were falling as far as they were. I'm like, guys, the, the linebackers were the heart and soul of that defense, the second best defense in the country. These guys can play and they proved it. They went to camp and they proved it. Uh, so, yeah, I feel very vindicated with all my talk about Devin Harper this last really 10 months going back to last year's bedlam whenever he made uh, just one of the biggest plays uh, of the season for Oklahoma state. And then Jalen Warren, Jalen Warren is just, it just feels like he's playing harder than everybody else out there. He doesn't run a four, three, you know, he's not some big Jerome Bettis bruiser bowling ball type guy like Garrett Blunt. He's just a good player. And he had the, the highlight in the preseason game the other night where the uh, rush edge comes off and Jalen Warren just absolutely decleats him around the edge of the right tackle. Couldn't be happier to see both those guys make rosters. Uh, Christian Holmes makes a roster, Malcolm Rodriguez, Josh Sills, all these guys on rosters, uh, just really, really special stuff for Oklahoma State. Uh, it was a special team last year, and obviously that showed, and some head coaches in the NFL took notice. Yeah, I forgot to mention Josh Sills. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles are graded as perhaps the best offensive line in the NFL. So for him to make that roster is even more impressive than just making you know an NFL roster come with his with his draft status coming out. So that's that's awesome for those guys. I think it's been cool to watch them in the, um, the preseason get some run. But uh, NFL season rapidly approaching. And, of course, I mentioned it, the uh, game week's here, Thursday against Central Michigan. Uh, before we get into everything Oklahoma State, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. They're going to be with us every step of the way, and we're going to be giving you now two podcasts a week. We'll have our, our pregame edition here on this episode, and then we're also going to do our typical postgame uh, podcast reaction. So we're back at it two pods a week, and uh, we can't be more excited to get going. 
I think a good way to start uh, our preview of the Central Michigan game, Colby, is three burning questions that you can find on Pistol's Firing blog written by Kyle Cox. Three burning questions going into the opener against Central Michigan. And I did not know this. I mean, we talk so much about what OSU returns, kind of the schedule, who's going to emerge on both sides of the football. I haven't really dove too deep into the Central Michigan uh, matchup, so to speak, but his number one burning question is how to slow down Lou Nichols the third, which I did not realize he's the nation's leading rusher from last year. And that's going to be a, a big task for this defensive line that we've talked so much about, Colby, with all the guys they have returning, that potential to be the strength of the defense, if not the biggest strength of the entire team. Well, they're going to get tested early and often here, Colby. Yeah, they are. It's, you know, sometimes the leading rusher is D1, Power 5, 10-win team, Tuba Hubbard smacks you in the face, you can't miss it. Sometimes the leading rusher in college football comes from somewhere like Central Michigan. And I know that Oklahoma State fans probably expect OSU to go in there, win this game by 30 points, move on, have it be stress-free. And I get that. But Central Michigan, I mean, they put dudes in the NFL every year. They are a good Good group of five program, 22-point uh, favorite right now, Oklahoma State is. We all remember what happened the last time Central Michigan came to Stillwater uh, with the extra play that should have never taken place. But, yeah, Lou Nichols the third. So, Central Michigan's replacing both starting tackles, but the interior of their offensive line, uh, center and both guards, are very experienced. Eight, you mentioned 1,800 yards, 16 touchdowns for him last year. That is what Central Michigan is going to lean on. I, I just feel like it's kind of strength on strength, and Oklahoma State's stronger in the trenches. That, I mean, the defensive line for Oklahoma State is the strength of this football team, and I, I assume that Lou Nichols III is a great player, and I'm sure those interior offensive linemen are really good players. But, man, you're going to be running into a wall of Brock Martin, Brendan Evers, Tyler Lacey, Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, uh, and more. So, yes, that, that's going to be a key focal point for Oklahoma State, but i like them to win that battle uh, and stop Central – or at least slow down Central Michigan's rush game. Yeah, and one of the guys you mentioned I don't think gets talked enough about, about returning. You know, we, you mentioned all the guys on the defensive line. Brock Martin coming back was big for the defensive line. A guy that just will never get enough credit because he plays defensive tackle – I thought played amazing last year throughout the entire season is Brent, Brendan Evers. You know, he's a redshirt senior out of Bixby. Doesn't get the accolades. You know, he wasn't listed as a first team or second team all big 12 guy last year. He made the academic first team uh, in 2021 and, and uh, second team in 2020. But this is a guy that I think will shine with this matchup going up against this running back from central Michigan. And, He's just a guy, Colby, that just doesn't get the headlines, the accolades, but he is an absolute centerpiece for that defense, for that defensive line. A big reason they played so well last year was Brendan Evers, who doesn't get the hype, Colby, but I think he's going to really shine in this matchup. Yeah, when I was looking at the depth chart the other day, that was a name that popped out, and I'm like, how, how do we always forget to talk about Brendan Evers? I mean, he just eats up so much space in the middle. He does a good job, and you know what he does? He allows the Colin Olivers and the Trace Fords of the world to get all the hype because they're going around the corner while he eats up space and does all the dirty work, and, man, he is good at it. So, uh, yeah, that's a name that we need to mention more often. It's Look, it's always the Colin Olivers that get talked about whenever you set freshman sack records and freshman All-American and all that stuff. But there's a bunch of guys who do the dirty work whose names don't always get called over the loudspeakers, and Brendan Evers is one of those. He's a very solid piece to this defensive front for Oklahoma State. Uh, and against a team like Central Michigan that's looking to run the ball a lot, he's going to be very key. 
Absolutely. Uh, second burning question is who makes plays on the outside for Central Michigan? They'll be without their leading receiver, Khalil Pimpleton and Ja'Cory Sullivan. Uh, that's, you know, they're two big receivers from last year on the outside. And that, I think this is another case, Colby, where OSU obviously matches up well against Central Michigan. We know that going in, but you and I are just so high on the corners for Oklahoma State. Young players who really, who really shined out against uh, Notre Dame. I think this is a, a, a solid start for them to really lock down whoever Central Michigan is going to put on the outside, putting even more pressure on the running game for Central Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's not going to be good for Central Michigan whenever you're losing those guys on the edge. I am curious. You know, I, I said that the guy I think could have a breakout year for Oklahoma State is Jabbar Muhammad on the edge. I want to see who he lines up against. The uh, Central Michigan, Dallas Dixon was their second receiver a year ago, and he comes back. So I'm very curious which side of the field he winds up on. Uh, does he wind up on Jabbar Muhammad's side of the field? Also, this could be a game flow situation, right, Carson? If Oklahoma State's up 21 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, well, all of a sudden, Central Michigan might have to say, you know what, Lou Nichols, you're a great player, but we're going to have to start airing it out. On the contrary, if it's 7-7 at the end of the first quarter, 10-7. Maybe Central Michigan even has a, a field goal lead or something at the end of the first quarter. Well, now they're going to try to shorten the game. They're going to try to slow it down. So I, I think part of what Central Michigan does offensively depends whether Oklahoma State allows them to stay in the game early. And we've seen that in recent seasons from Oklahoma State. Last year, season opener, Oklahoma State sneaked past Missouri State 23-16. to The year before uh, the COVID season, you don't start until the third week end of September. Oklahoma State barely beats Tulsa 16 to seven. I will say Oklahoma State is much healthier, I think, coming into this season than they have been the last two years. So hopefully there's not that uh, just kind of lull in the first game because you don't want to lull against Central Michigan. You give a team like that a chance uh, and they're going to stick around for four quarters. So hopefully we're seeing a lot of Dallas Dixon in the Central Michigan passing game because that means that Oklahoma State jumped out to a big early lead. Yep, I would agree. And it's funny that most of these involve the Oklahoma State defense, which we know they have a lot to replace, but the third burning question is <laughs> the title's paper or plastic. And I don't know if I just missed the reference, but it's talking about what you mentioned earlier that central Michigan is, is without both their tackles on either side. And that's something that we obviously lick our chops as when we look at the Oklahoma state defense, you got Colin Oliver coming off the edge, Brock Martin, Trace Ford, Tyler Lacey coming off the edge, Colby. And I, I think this is just a, a great matchup for them to get off to one of those starts where I think at a certain point in this game, Oklahoma State might have, or Central Michigan might have negative yards rushing uh, throughout maybe the first half. Cause I think they're just going to get, they're just going to be able to tee off on third downs against those, those two uh, rookie tackles on the, on the outsides for Central Michigan. Yeah, I think so too. It's just, you're going to be bringing Colin Oliver, Brock Martin, Trace Ford, Tyler Lacey. I mean, all these guys are going to be rotating through coming off the edge. And, boy, to be a new starting tackle and have to face that. I mean, I truly think that Oklahoma State's going to have probably one of the 10 best defensive lines in the country this season. We'll see what uh, some of the bigger schools that have recruited all of these five-star mega monsters uh, put out there. But Oklahoma State has just developed some serious football players uh, coming off the edge. And, I mean, Carson – the game hasn't even played yet. Maybe it goes totally differently than what I'm thinking, but it is Tuesday evening and I already feel bad for the starting tackles for central Michigan, because I, I just don't see how this can possibly go well for them. No, I don't either. And it's something that, you know, central Michigan's a decent team. I mean, I, we can look at the point spreads and all of that, but 
I think it's a decent first test. I don't think they're just, you know, OSU is going to win by, by 50. Uh, they might, but I, I think the, the point spread is the latest I'm seeing. It opened at 20 and a half. It's up to 21 and a half. So I guess let's pick the game, Colby. I mean, um, I guess before we do that, do you have any burning questions? One of, one of my burning questions is who leads the team in catches? I think that's something we're going to watch throughout the season as it progresses. But I think in game one, week one, I think they're going to try to establish either a Brennan Presley, a Jaden Bray. That's my big question, Colby, is who's going to get the most targets and catches in the receiver position? Because I, I do think there's a lot of them up for grabs. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. The one that immediately popped into my head was, assuming the game is competitive for, let's say, three quarters, how many freshmen do we see in what looks like the real rotation? I'm not, if it turns into a 59-24 situation uh, and you're running guys out there, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about middle of the second quarter, does Ollie Gordon come out and handle the carries for a drive? Does Braylon Presley spend a series in the slot? That's what I'm talking about. Early in the game, first half, uh, hopefully, I mean, not a super close game, but when the game is still very much hanging in the balance early in the game, how many freshmen do we get out there and what do they look like? Because I think that's always a big mystery uh, with Mike Gundy-led teams going into the season. Well, I would love to see me some Braylon Presley. I'm, just, I'm dying to see him in the open field. I just... How about a trick play, reverse to Brennan, roll right, throw deep to Braylon? I'm in. Oh, that – I'm so in on that. I want to save that. I don't want to see that again. I hope they don't need to run that against Central Michigan. <laughs> if if I, and when that happens, Carson, I think it could be first quarter. I think the fans are going to storm in the field. They, they might be tempted to, uh, but I, I think they'll keep that in the, the back pocket. But that'll be uh, fun to watch. Uh, another burning one for me is just what does this defense look like in terms of scheme from from Derek Mason? How with with Derek Mason? How? How much different will that look under him? We, when he was hired, there was all these looks that he could do where he's got multiple edge rushers out there at the same time. That's obviously something we would like to see at Oklahoma State. Fewer down linemen, more guys standing up, coming from different angles. I just, I'm curious to see how this defense just looks structurally on, under Derek Mason. I think that's something to watch. Just, I think we'll get a real feel for what his, his um, schemes are, uh, his trends, th things he likes to do, I think we'll see from, from week one. And that's something I'm, I'm super interested in seeing because we've, we've become accustomed to what Jim Knowles does. We, we became accustomed to his halftime adjustments. I'm just curious to see overarching view of the Derek Mason defense at, at Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we haven't talked a ton about the departure of Jim Knowles, probably because they made what we all think is such a good hire in Derek Mason, a guy with a bunch of head coaching experience, a guy who came over from the SEC, came over from Auburn. So uh, probably haven't made as big a deal out of that as it is. I mean, Jim Knowles led the best defense in school history. What does the style look like under Derek Mason? And I kind of like that you're playing Central Michigan in game one because, yeah, it's a team that you should go out and beat by a few touchdowns, but it's not, it's not Savannah State. You know, you, you can measure yourself a little bit against Central Michigan and see how you're doing. So I'll be curious, you know, early first, second quarter, uh, is it any down, you know, just blitz whenever, wherever, because that's kind of where Jim Knowles was. Is it kind of some of the more predictable stuff? Uh, how many guys is he sending at a time? You know, on third and four, is he willing to send seven, eight guys like Knowles was? You don't have to do that all the time. Uh, and you certainly don't want to tip your entire hand in game one. But yeah, looking at what, uh, what Derek Mason does and kind of the style of the defense will definitely be something to pay attention to Thursday night. Anything else before we pick the game on your mind? Uh, I don't believe so. I think I'm good. I think I'm ready. Although I, 
I will add one more before we pick the game. Mike Gundy did name he didn't name a backup quarterback. It's still or with Gunner Gundy and uh, Rangel at backup quarterback. But he did say if Spencer goes down or the, the next quarterback out on that field will be his son Gunner Gundy. I think that's a testament to what he's done. Look, I don't I as much as I've talked about the the whole Nathan Sim, Simmons corollary with Bob Simmons. Gunner's his own guy. I, I'm, I'm not going to reference that anytime he plays for his, the rest of his career at Oklahoma State. I'm not going to do that. He's his own, his own man, his own player. It's a totally different scenario. And he's a totally different player because he, he was a really good quarterback in high school at Stillwater. He earned it. He, he beat out Rangel to, to be the next quarterback on the field. I think it's a tremendous story. Obviously, he's wearing Mike's old number, playing for his dad. It's a cool story on the surface, but also I think it's a – it's a, it's a real testament to him to sit out the year that he did and to win the backup job. I think it's a, it's a tremendous story for him personally just to, to prove that I can play at this level because clearly Mike Gundy is not going to just put him out there as a second quarterback if he can't play. I think he's proven that in camp. Oh, no, I think you're absolutely right. He would not, they would not let him see the field if they didn't think that he could go out there and do a serviceable job as the backup. Uh, and the backup is important, especially whenever you have a running quarterback. I've said, Carson, I, I want to see more. I want to see more of Spencer Sanders on the run. I mean, that can mean he, he misses one in October. Maybe he misses one in early November. And I don't know what that looks like uh, if Gunnar Gundy or Garrett Rangel take the field. It is a great story. But, yeah, it, it wouldn't be a great story if, if – the kid couldn't play, right? Uh, I called a couple of his games in high school. They had a great team at Stillwater and elite offense, but it, it's hard uh, for, for me. You know, I watch a lot of football and stuff, but I don't have the best trained eye on how to evaluate high school talent and how that's going to trans transition to the next level. Uh, I leave the, that up to the guys who know what they're doing, but uh, I think Gunnar Gundy is a good player, and I don't think that he would find himself uh, second on that depth chart if that wasn't the case. Colby, uh, it's prediction time. What do you got? All right. I have got a Vegas line staring me in the face of Oklahoma State as a 22-point favorite. And then the over-under is 59. And shocker, Carson, I think that Vegas is pretty close. I think Vegas is usually pretty close. I think they're pretty close Thursday in Stillwater. I've got Oklahoma State kind of getting out to a decent early lead and then just kind of holding it the rest of the game. I've got 41-20 to 20 in favor of the good guys for the home opener. 41-20, to 20, is that what you said? 41-20, to 20. yep. So that would be a Central Michigan cover and the over. Yeah, I like that score a lot. I just, I don't think, I, I, I just really see a, a shutdown performance from the defense. And I, I just really kind of see Oklahoma State taking the air out of the game with the running game. I think they have so many running backs they want to see with, we know Dominic Richardson will be out there first, but with Ollie Gordon and, and all the, and the transfer from a and just all the stable of running backs, I think will kind of be on showcase on Thursday night. I think, they will build a big lead going into halftime. I just I see it lower scoring. I'm going to go 38 to 10, Oklahoma State. I just I really think the defense will have very little trouble. I have a lot of respect for that running back of Central Michigan, but I just they're going to be overmatched on the offensive line, which we just detailed. And I, I just think they they get off the field on third down a ton. They sack the quarterback a ton, get the ball back into their offense. And I think Mike will will kind of take the air out of the game with the running game and. He'll put Gunner out there early with the, the backups. And I just think they kind of take the air of the game and win 38 to 10. 
I, I like that. That would be an Oklahoma State cover and an under. Uh, a lot of unders hit last year in Oklahoma State's game with what that defense was able to do. I, I don't know. I do feel like you're replacing Harper and Rodriguez. You're replacing all those guys on the back end. I think that there will be a couple of breakdowns in the first half by the defense. Maybe not anything massive, but, you know, just allowing Central Michigan to put a little drive together. Uh, chip away here, chip away there. Uh, that's kind of fun, the Chippewas. That, that's what they are, right? Yeah, they're the Chippewas. Uh, so they can just chip away as they march their way down the field. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a little higher scoring. But either way, I, I don't think either one of us really see this being competitive in the fourth quarter or uh, see this being in a place where you need to chuck one out of bounds and risk an intentional grounding. Well, maybe Mike will run up the score because he did. He it still chaps him that you know he he doesn't have 150 wins yet because of that that Central Michigan game. Yep. Maybe maybe he will run up the score and and uh, make it a higher scoring. But I I've got the under and I, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh yeah, me too. Are you no? You're not going to be there in person, uh, are you Thursday night? No, I don't have season tickets. I'm going to kind of pick and choose my spots. Thursday night's not a great one for me. Um, I'm going to kind of wait. Wait it out, kind of scope out how the season plays out. But I'll I'll be making a couple trips to Stillwater for sure. So that that's something I'm really looking forward to uh, as well. But we got to make our our uniform predictions, Colby. These are almost uh, I put more <laughs> almost more effort into what they're going to wear than what the actual final score is going to be, which is kind of tells a lot about me and how much I care about uniforms. But I'm curious to get your pick for Week One, uh, Oklahoma State hosting Central Michigan, and what the uniform pick is going to be. Yeah, so this is what I did, Carson. I went back eight years, and I looked at the uniforms that they wore in the home openers. I did some research. Went back eight years. look at you. Yep, so I've got eight years here, and in two years, in 19 and 15, they used some weird combination of black and gray. But aside from those two years, which are just kind of outliers, it's been some combination of just orange and white. We've had a bunch of white, orange, whites, a couple of white, orange, oranges. um, But the most prevalent Uniform combination in home openers over the last eight years is white, orange, white. They've worn that half the time over the last eight seasons. So I'm going to go white, orange, white as my prediction, my uniform prediction for week one. I think you've done your due diligence. And what's, you know, I've been doing this so long on the, on the podcast doing uniform predictions. I can kind of in my head tally up what they've worn in their, their home openers. And my instinct naturally went to, a combination of either white, orange, white, or white, orange, orange. Um, did you give me a helmet prediction before I make mine? Uh, I did, yes, white. So, wow for me. W- well, I, w- I would w- like wow. a little bit more. I would like, you know, are they going to go oh, with you, you mean with uh, Pete? What, give me an exact helmet prediction. I know they have a ton, but just if you get white, we'll give you credit for the win. But give me kind of your your prediction on what the logo will be yeah i forget that we've got to uh throw the actual logo whatever's gonna be on the side so i think it's gonna be the white helmet with the kind of triple stripe down the middle the the orange on each, either side of the black stripe and then the full standing pistol pete uh on the side of the helmets it pete is what i've dubbed him and i think it's caught on to where i think even oklahoma state calls him calls him that so wait what'd you call him patriot pete because it kind of looks from far away, it kind of looks like the old Patriot logo where the guy's snapping the football. Uh, it Pete does. Standing upright. Yeah, it does. The I helmet like that. itself looks kind of like that old school Patriots helmet with the stripe going down the middle, white with the the, the full standing Pete. So you've kind of uh, gone the same direction I am. I'm going Patriot Pete, uh, white helmet, orange jersey. And I'll go orange pants. They, they wore that against Tulsa to open the season one year when I think it's the Tyron Johnson 
uh, touchdown down the sideline in the, in the home opener. I'm going to go white, orange, orange, just to be a little different. I, I, I really liked white, orange, white, but I ultimately landed on white, orange, orange, because they, they can do so much at home that it's not as if like on the road, you got to kind of save some looks. And of course they're going to save all black for some bigger games. The, the black, uh, orange looks, well, I think they'll save for the, the bigger game. So I'm going to go Patriot Pete, orange, orange for my prediction. I like that. That's what they wore last year. Last year was uh, white, orange, orange. Now I'm trying to remember what the actual helmet was last year. Um, might have been. No, it was not Patriot Pete. It was just the single, the the basically the Pistol Pete floating head was the helmet that they wore last year on top of the orange uh, jerseys and the orange pants in the home opener. They opened with last year. Uh, Missouri State, 23 to 16. Oh, man, that was a uh, ESPN3 <laughs> game. Wasn't even on television. Uh, it wasn't. I forgot about that. Now, I will say it was 23 to 16, but it wasn't actually that close. Oklahoma State was up 20 to nothing in the second quarter. Oklahoma State was up 23 to nine with like four minutes left. Missouri State scored a late touchdown. But yeah, the final score uh, definitely looks close and nerve wracking. And if I remember right, the last three minutes were a little nerve wracking because I'm pretty sure Missouri State got it back in the last three minutes uh, and we had to sweat a little bit. I'm hoping that the only sweating taking place Thursday night will be from the humidity in Stillwater. Yeah, and that. It was it was nerve wracking. It's kind of crazy to think back, you know, to Spencer Sanders and Mike Gundy lifting the Fiesta Bowl championship trophy and then rewind to week one when Missouri State's trying to throw it in the end zone to to make life difficult in week one against Oklahoma State. So that that was didn't play. uh, That was a big turnaround. Would you say? And, and Spencer didn't play that first game last year. That's why I said more health coming in. Uh, he had, I think he tweaked an ankle or something uh, in camp. And so Shane Illingworth played. Uh, he threw for 315 yards, a touchdown and a pick. But that was early in the season, Carson, when they hadn't figured out who their running back was yet. The offensive line didn't come into the season very healthy. Oklahoma State ran the ball against Missouri State last year, 28 times for 54 yards in that game, 1.9 yards per carry against Missouri State a year ago. And now I'm having PTSD to our post-game show that we did where I about lost my voice talking about the offensive line. We've had several seasons, Carson, of having to come on after game one and talk about the offensive line and how they can get it right throughout the season. Hopefully we're not having that same conversation Thursday night. No, hopefully not. And yes, we all remember how and that's, that's kind of why my score prediction is a little lower. We all remember the issues you, you laid out with the offensive line and Spencer not playing. Like, I don't think they're going to struggle as mightily as they did week one against Central Michigan. But I, I do think, and hopefully this isn't the case, you know, with Casey Dunn being more established as the offensive coordinator and the offensive line being in a better situation, we all think they're going to be much better to coming out of the gates on offense. I do think... There is sometimes that week one, you know, you're not playing, you know, a McNeese state, you're not playing some rum dum. I do think there is a tendency to come out of the gates a little slow on offense. Uh, hopefully that's not the case. That's kind of was my line of thinking Colby with the, the lower score prediction and, and with the under hitting. Yeah, that's honestly not not bad. I mean, I, I still like mine, but I could totally be convinced that this is going to be a lower scoring game because Oklahoma State has come out of the gate a little bit slowly in some years past. We talked about the Missouri State game, the Tulsa game. Uh, I mean, honestly, the last 
actual opener, and this wasn't a home opener, that I can remember just being guns blazing, pistols firing, good night Vienna, was whenever they went up to Corvallis and just beat the brakes off of Oregon State, and Spencer Sanders uh, is out there looking like Randall Cunningham. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that Oklahoma State has definitely gotten off to some slow starts uh, at the beginning of the season. So if it's lower scoring, it wouldn't surprise me. Yep. No, it, it'll be fun to watch. Uh, it's time for Bullets and BBs heading into the first game of the season. You can take it any direction. doesn't have to be related to game one, week one, or even OSU football. What do you got for me on, uh, on Bullets and BBs this week? Yeah, we talked about it earlier. I already had it written down as my bullet, though, and I want to go back into it. The, the Oklahoma State players who made the NFL rosters, uh, Harper and Rodriguez, and, and kind of, I mean, this goes into what the task is for Derek Mason too, right? To replace these guys. Uh, I mean, you've got Harper and, uh, and Holmes and Devin, pardon me, Devin Harper, Christian Holmes, Malcolm Rodriguez. I'm reading these in the wrong order uh, and it's screwing me up. You've got all three of those guys that you've got to replace and that's a big tall task, but those guys deserve so, 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 so much credit because Oklahoma state is just, perpetually overlooked Carson we've talked about it and it feels like we've been talking about it as a fan base for a decade I mean Oklahoma State's been one of the 10 best programs in the country for a decade and guys continue to still get overlooked for whatever reason it's the big 12 nobody plays defense oh it's just Oklahoma State there aren't any five stars running around in Stillwater and it's just one reason after another why people nationally come up with this idea that Oklahoma State isn't as good as they are Oklahoma State is so much better than they're given credit for nationally uh, and I think a lot of these guys I mean, two sixth rounders, a seventh rounder, and two undrafted free agents for Oklahoma State go out and make 53-man rosters. That is so difficult to do. Uh, they, they don't just give those roster spots away. So uh, I, it, it, for me, was an incredibly proud day as an Oklahoma State fan to watch those guys uh, that we watched a year ago, one of the best seasons in school history, to watch them all go out and make rosters. Uh, that's a big, big deal for Oklahoma State. Yeah, absolutely. And my my uh, bullet is going to be along the same lines. And it's a guy we've talked about a lot with the uh, hard knocks being on television. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez is going to get my bullet because the lions made a big cut Colby. They're all the NFL teams making their last cuts to get to the 53 man roster. The lions cut a former first round linebacker, which signals that they've cut Jared Davis, who was the 21st overall pick in the 2017 draft. Now, of course, that may have a lot to do with just his play up to this point in his NFL career, but I think it signals the monumental impact Malcolm Rodriguez has had since going to the Detroit Lions on that defense. I think he is going to start, and I think he's going to play really well. And I just think that is just a, an unbelievable accomplishment for a guy that a lot of people counted out Six-round pick. You know, someone just tweeted me today. In fact, uh, this I want to give him credit. Asa Manship uh, sent me this tweet with the weaknesses from Malcolm Rodriguez, and he underlined a few of them. And I want to read them. Slips off too many ball carriers. Needs to complete tackles. Loses the size battle to tight ends. Uh, easily driven out of the play. Inconsistent hustle. I don't know who wrote this and where he sent it along from. Uh, I'll keep going, though. Also loses his balance too often. Does that sound, Colby, like the guy we watched at Oklahoma State? Because I think it illuminates how people just look at the measurables and really just kind of categorizes someone that's too small. Because he's not. 
Malcolm Rodriguez was the best linebacker in college football last year for my money, and he's earned it. And I think he is going to start week one for the Detroit Lions. So that earns my bullet. Uh, yeah, that's a really good one. You know what that sounds like to me, Carson? Sometimes you will type something up. You know, I, I write for Golf Town. Sometimes you type something up and somebody else throws something in there. I feel like maybe somebody typed up that scouting report and then Malcolm's name was accidentally put on it. Because if I had to write up a scouting report for everything Malcolm Rodriguez is not, that is how it would read. Malcolm Rodriguez is not a guy who misses tackles. He is not a guy who gets out hustled. He is not a guy who gets outworked, who gets outmatched by tight ends, who gets pushed off the ball easily. That is the anti-Malcolm Rodriguez scouting report. It feels like they, they made a scouting report uh, for a linebacker who's never going to play in the league and accidentally put Malcolm's name on it. Yeah, like forget tight ends. He's hip-tossing left tackles that weigh 350 pounds with ease. Now, like, he does engage larger-sized individuals. He does engage guys bigger than him. But that's, that's not Malcolm Rodriguez. That, that scouting report's a uh, freezing cold take for that scouting report. Uh, what do you got for BBs? Oh, my BB, Carson. It's glorious. Saturday, we got a little tease, a little college football tease over in Ireland. I think everybody knows where I'm headed with this. Nebraska gets my BB. Carson, we, when I say we, I mean everyone who is who considers themselves part of the college football universe, ranking go, going from coaches to players to fans to children, wh whatever the case may be. We all have to agree and accept that Nebraska is no longer a football program of relevance just because they are Nebraska. Nebraska is a laughing stock of college football. You know what they are? They're Indiana with more passionate fans. They're Oregon State. They're becoming close to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt would actually beat the brakes off of Nebraska if they lined up right now. They're, they're a laughing stock, Carson, and to go over to Ireland on a big stage, I mean, a bunch of people watch that game because it's game one, right? We, we're, we're, we're thirsty. We're hungry for college football, and Nebraska is going to go out and give it to us. They get a lead, and what do they do? They blow it. They lose another one-score game. Scott Frost looks like an absolute moron coming out after the game, talking about his staff needs to be a little more creative. What the hell have you been doing all summer? What have you been doing all summer? What was the onside kick? I don't understand. Nebraska is a laughingstock, Carson, and we have to stop pretending like they are anything but that. Oh, that was a good one. And I'm going the same direction, but I will, I will kind of tailor it to myself. I will kind of give myself a BB when it comes to Nebraska football and where they are today. August 30th, 2022. I thought Scott Frost was a good hire for, for Nebraska. Borderline great hire for Nebraska. It was an obvious one since he's a Nebraska alum, but a lot of people questioned him going there, but they, they understood because he won a national title as the quarterback there. The guy went 13-0 and at UCF and left to go to his alma mater. I thought he would turn. UCF was 6-7 and seven his first year. They, they weren't just lighting it up. He, he had them 13-0 and 0 and won the Peach Bowl. I thought it was a good hire, but you, you take a step back and, and where we are now, and I tweeted these numbers out, so I'll give myself a BB, but listen to this. I tweeted out this stat. Frank Solich won at least nine games in five of his six seasons, 
He won double-digit games four times. Bo Pelini won at least nine games in all seven of his seasons at Nebraska. They can Frank Solich. They can Bo Pelini. You, you lump Nebraska in with Oregon State. Well, they did hire Oregon State's coach Mike Riley <laughs> to coach them, so maybe you're not too far off there. Maybe that's the state of affairs. Scott Frost has won 10 conference games entering his fifth season. 10, 10 conference games total. He's won, he's won 15 games total as the head coach entering his uh, fifth, he's one game into his fifth season. He's 15 and 30. And what's remarkable about this, Colby, is they're doing this in the Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten stinks. I mean, let's, let's just look at Nebraska's murderous row schedule, shall we? I mean, they already got a big-time conference foe out of the way in Northwestern. It's just a shame yeah. they weren't able to get that big win to start the season. Yeah, like – Come on, it's Northwestern. Now that they will play Oklahoma in the non-conference, it's you know good game. Uh, let's 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 look at just look at their Big Ten schedule. Indiana at home, at Rutgers, at Purdue, Illinois. Ooh, man, this is just a murder's row. Minnesota at home, at Michigan, Wisconsin at home, at Iowa. I mean, as far as Nebraska has fallen, Colby. They get to play that conference schedule. I mean, it's unbelievable how far Nebraska has, has fallen. I actually thought going to the Big Ten suited them geographically. Obviously, they've lost Texas ties, but let's face it, who, who from Texas is going to go play in Nebraska anymore? It's not, it's not Tom Osborne at the helm. Uh, but, Colby, I think it's an even bigger indictment on the program that is Nebraska that they can't even win against that conference slate. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable. If you had told me when I was watching, I still say the best college football team I've ever seen, followed closely by Miami in 2000, and those the, the Ed Reed teams, is 95 Nebraska with Tommy Frazier, 94-95 when they won back-to-back national titles. They were Alabama is what they were. And now they can't even beat Northwestern. So that's, that's my BB. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That, that was a lot of good uh, information in there. And it, it's okay. You know, if you're a Nebraska fan, it's okay to, to love your history and all that. Nebraska has an unbelievable history. But we have to acknowledge that in the present, they're, they're just a laughingstock. You know, I mean, you read off that schedule, and I'm sitting here thinking, eh, I mean, these are, this is just cupcake after cupcake, and then a few decent teams there at the end. I'm thinking to myself, eh, four and eight. Eh, five and seven maybe if they get hot. But, I mean, I don't, I don't see a six-win team coming out of Lincoln again this year. Uh, I don't know what Scott Frost's contract situation is like. I'm sure that they gave him a, a huge bag after he left um, UCF. But, man, he was down there at UCF. He, he was getting a bunch of three-star kids and stuff in from Orlando. He was getting guys with speed, NFL guys. I mean, Gabriel Davis, Tyquan Thornton. These are guys that were playing for uh, Scott Frost down at UCF. He doesn't have the talent at Nebraska that he had at UCF. Uh, McKenzie Milton was a great college quarterback. I mean, obviously he suffered the big injury, uh, never really came back from that, but he was a great college quarterback. I just, I mean, Casey Thompson's fine. I think that's what we saw last year at Texas. I think that's what we'll see this year at Nebraska. He's fine. Uh, but yeah, it, it just, 
modern college football does not work in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, and I think that we're, we're finally all collectively as a unit uh, starting to realize and agree on that. Oh, I agree. And someone, someone said, oh, the irony, uh, I, I sweetened something about uh, the Big Ten and, and just how bad they stink. And, or I think I, I tweeted out the numbers of what a great candidate Oklahoma State would be to a conference, either the Big Ten, SEC, whomever. I, I tweeted out those numbers and people can go look at it. It's pretty remarkable that, oh, yeah, it's Oklahoma State is a very viable, oh, yeah, they win at football. Great. They would be good, wouldn't they? I'm gonna try and find these numbers that I, that I tweeted out. Okay, here they are. They yeah, had Oklahoma State. The other day, by the way, it was good. Yeah. Which Big Ten candidates had the most athletic excellence? Number one, Notre Dame. Their their score was at the top. Number two, Oklahoma State. And this is even when, this is even when they they rank. You know, they list football history, recent football success, NCAA titles, and they give a score for men's basketball which Oklahoma State got, I thought, a pretty respectable score in basketball with the way they've uh, really performed over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, really. It's not, not been great, but they gave them a six out of, out of 10. But they gave a football history four to Oklahoma State. North Carolina had four. I mean, North Carolina, I tweeted out, they, North Carolina, <laughs> they've had a Heisman, they haven't had a Heisman finalist since the 1940s. They've won double-digit games once since 1997, just six times since 1888. Like, I'm sorry, get North Carolina out of here. Uh, Duke was also, right? Duke got the same football history as Oklahoma State. So even with that horrible metric, Oklahoma State was still number two, Colby. Yeah, that's wild. Even with the flawed metrics, uh, Oklahoma State was still that high. Again, Carson, People uh, to the left of us uh, a thousand miles and to the right of us a thousand miles, they, they just haven't been paying attention. And you just, you have to do things on big stages to get their attention. Otherwise, they're just going to keep watching the same five schools that they watch every year. It's about consistency, right? That's why it's so important for Oklahoma State to parlay last season, which found them on a big stage, uh, two big stages, really, Big 12 Championship game and then the Fiesta Bowl into further success. Keep yourselves at a high level in front of eyeballs all across the country. 2011, you had that high-level success, but they didn't really parlay that into success sustained success it's incredibly important that they do that over the next couple of seasons absolutely uh, before we sign off i just this thought just popped into my head as you were talking um give me give me the dream scenario like what i'm trying to struggle i'm i'm at a loss for words here colby which i, I rarely am but <laughs> give me the i'm trying to texture this question properly Give me the dream scenario, which you're usually not that far off because you are a, an Oklahoma State fan, and you, you, gave, you have them – did you have them winning the Big 12? Uh, I've got them 10-2. and two. I've got them as the regular season champs, a Bedlam rematch in the Big 12 title game, one-game scenario, anything happens. What has to happen for Oklahoma State to have the feels-like 45 season with a 1945 banner, national champions, for them to, to win this year? What, give me kind of just the perfect scenario. What has to go right? Uh, what, what would you kind of circle as, okay, this goes right, Oklahoma State can win it all? Uh, I think, number one, you would need to have very little dip on the defensive side. I mean, Oklahoma State was great last year on that side of the ball, and it bailed them out at times throughout the season. Uh, so I would say sustain that level defensively. I mean, even if you're not the second-best defense in the country, top 10, uh, I mean, you, you need to have a good defense. You can win games in this conference doing that. Uh, number two would be health. 
Oklahoma State does not have uh, 80 four- and five-star guys like Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. They, they just – I mean, if they lose guys on the offensive line, they're, they're not funneling a four- or five-star sophomore or junior in. It, it gets pretty slim uh, on the depth for, chart for schools like Oklahoma State. So I would say uh, sustain that level defensively. Uh, stay healthy, and then let's round out the top three, uh, and we'll say Spencer Sanders can't have the disaster game. You know, you throw one or two picks in a game, that happens. That's football, man. Tom Brady throws interceptions. Aaron Rodgers throws interceptions. Patrick Mahomes throws interceptions. You you can't have the the three interception game, the four, the five interception game, the disaster games. Uh, You have to avoid that from Spencer Sanders. He's, He's progressively gotten better at that throughout his career, but it just still creeps up and bites him once or twice a season. Season. Uh, so hopefully you can avoid that this year. Uh, I'd say off the top of my head, those would be my top three. Yeah, those are great ones. Um, I don't think you're wrong there. That's you covered most of it. And I just, I think for me, you know, it's, it's easy to forget now um, what, what Kyler Murray has become. He won the Heisman. We, we know what Kyler Murray's done, right? And he's, you would never put Kyler Murray and Spencer Sanders in the same sentence. You just wouldn't, based on what they've done to this point in Spencer's career and obviously what Kyler's done. But can we rewind to 2015 when Kyler Murray was a freshman playing at Texas A&M? He was 59% completion percentage through 686 yards in eight games, five touchdowns to seven interceptions. Spencer Sanders, his freshman year, he played – 11 games, not three more than, than Kyler, better completion percentage through for 2000 yards through had a better touchdown to interception ratio. He had 16 touchdowns to 11 picks. Not great. The point being is there's a world and we're talking dream fantasy scenario where Oklahoma state wins, wins it all. There was a point in time where Spencer Sanders was a very highly touted recruit in his own right, Mr. Texas football, just like Kyler Murray was. There's an alternate universe here where the light bulb comes on for Spencer Sanders and he turns into Kyler Murray. And it's not that crazy to think, just look back to that second half against Notre Dame. That was Kyler Murray. That was a dude who was running all over the place, throwing the deep ball, was carving up a really good defense coordinated by the head coach at Notre Dame. That is the scenario. And and I'm really high on Kyler Murray. I'm not, or I'm really high on Spencer Sanders rather. I'm not saying he's going to turn into Kyler Murray this year, but it's not far fetched that he is awesome, that he is lights out. And I don't know about going to the Heisman ceremony and all of those things, but there was a world where Kyler Murray wasn't playing that great due to the situation. I think the situation is going to be much better this year. And that for me is how the dream scenario happens. No, that's a good little parallel that you've drawn there. It, uh, it, it's tough, man. You know, Kyler is just so crazy electric uh, and fast, but I, I see what you're going for there. I mean, he could absolutely make that improvement and make that leap. And, and again, I feel like part of it has to be the cohesiveness between Spencer Sanders and Casey Dunn. And I think that we started to see more of that at the end of last season. So, you know, I, maybe I'm too bullish. I don't know. I've got him 10 and two. Uh, I've got him regular season, big 12 champs. Maybe I'm too bullish, but I think Spencer has improved uh, progressively throughout his career. Another small step uh, in his final season and, and, I think Oklahoma State will be in good shape uh, to find themselves at Jerry's World again. So, uh, Carson, this is the last time that we will talk 
before a uh, toe goes to leather, ball goes in the air, and we play some football. I can't wait, man. We've made it, and uh, this I think this season's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, it goes OSU's way, and who knows? Who knows what will happen? But it's, it's, they don't have a loss yet, Colby, so – they're they're 0 and 0, so anything's possible. I, I can't wait, and we're gonna be, you're gonna be with me every step of the way, and I, I'm really looking forward to this uh, this season with you. Another season with the Pistols Firing Podcast. I want I want to shout out to all our listeners. You guys are amazing. It's it's always awesome when we run into you guys, and hopefully we'll run into you this season up in Stillwater. And um, we have some some plans for maybe do some some cool stuff for post game pods, and that's yet to be determined. But uh, we appreciate you listening and. And Colby, uh, I can't wait to have another season with you. And, and you've done a great job to this point. I'm looking forward to another year. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is a blast. Love our listeners. Uh, I'll be in Stillwater for every home game that I can be there for. I'll be at the first two uh, going forward. will depend on my work schedule. But if you see me in Stillwater, uh, come up, say hi. Uh, happy to talk to all of our listeners always. Uh, and love being a part of the show. Carson, great stuff as always. Uh, everybody. Get a couple of nights of good sleep, and then we will see you in Stillwater on Thursday. As always, go Pokes!